Bezalel, Aholiab, we will say those names a lot, so um, they'll be your best friends by the end of this, by the end of this message. Um, yeah, do, if you don't have a Bible or an app, def- do grab one, because we'll be looking at some of these verses in here. Um, but when I was reading this, basically, this is a story about people's jobs, and, and I've, I've had a lot of jobs in my life. That's what happens when you're a pastor or a musician. You don't get paid very much, so you got to do lots of like, weird jobs to make, it, to make things work. I, just, I remember as soon as it was legal in America for me to have a job, uh, I had one, and I worked at this it's a horrible job in a, in a fast food chicken shop. This is the worst job I've ever had by far. But w- one, of the, one of the good jobs that I've had, uh, over a summer, I was at uni, and I had an uncle who would buy old dilapidated houses and fix them up and flip them. And over a summer, I worked with him. So he bought... A few, he would basically, as soon as one house was sold, he had enough money to buy the next house, and he would kind of like multiply it as it went. Uh, I did plumbing, I did uh, like roofing, which in Florida is a horrible thing because you're on the roof, and it's a little bit hot, like 44 degrees, and there's no, there's no shade anywhere, and you're dealing with things that are black. Anyways, um, it wasn't enjoyable in a physical sense, but the reason why I enjoyed that job is because at the end of the day, it's a 10-hour day, really, like from sunup to sundown, kind of, um, Oh, also, I got to demolish stuff. Demolition was a big part of the job, mostly because we were kind of unskilled laborers. And so you're just like, hey, you have to take down that porch for today. Like, yes. Or you have to take those walls down. Oh, yeah, give me the sledgehammer. It's really fun. Um, but unfortunately, all the information that I learned in those three months has not kept with me. So I have no idea how to do any DIY stuff anymore. But what was enjoyable about that job was uh, at the end of the day, I felt like I worked. It was like I, my body felt a little bit sore, but there was like a level of like, oh, I did something and I could see what happened during, like at, at some point in the day. Either the porch was there and it's no longer there, or uh, maybe we put in some plumbing or whatever the thing might be. And so there was a level of completion that at the end of the day, it's like, ah, oh, like I, I worked. I worked a job, which is different than uh, if you're a knowledge worker and you're working on the computer. You don't get that kind of feeling at the end of the day. If anything, it's more of like a, what did I do with all my time? And your head might be a little bit a little bit messed up sometimes. Uh, I worked hard, and because of that, it felt good to rest. I finished the day knowing that I worked hard, and also knowing that progress was made. And that's a very satisfying thing. And from that kind of experience uh, comes a term that I found helpful, which is called restful work. Restful work is the kind of work that when you're doing it, you really enjoy it. Doesn't matter if you get paid for it or not, although it's ideal, obviously, to get paid for the things you love to do, but you're gonna do it anyway. Uh, and when you get to do it, it's satisfying. Now that kind of work, that kind of, of activity, gives a satisfaction, can, can give a kind of rest that binging Netflix won't ever be able to deliver. And uh, I mean, having a lion will, will give you physical rest, but we need other kinds of rest in our lives. This actually reminds me a little bit of uh, the American word for a holiday, which is vacation. The word vacation comes as the word vacate. Like, that's my life, that's my job, that's everything I need to, it's insane, so I need to vacate from that, get some kind of rest over here in some kind of other kind of world, and then enough rest that I can build up so I can spend it all over here and I kind of slowly deplete myself. That's not a really healthy way of living. And that's like, and that's maybe uh, betrays the uh, American work, work ethic, just Spend yourself up until you die. Life should not be like that. I think we as a culture, even here in the UK, we have some major issues with rest. And part of that is because we have some major issues with work. And not just our what we do, but how we do it. 
Because our work is broken, our rest ends up broken. And in the long run, no amount of rest can compensate for a lack of satisfying work. And you know, that, you know the bad side of this when you're in a job that doesn't work for you. Either the activity is really bad, or you have a horrible boss, or you have horrible colleagues. It, it's difficult to peel yourself out of the bed in the morning when, when you're in that kind of situation. It's, that's the opposite of, of, of restful work. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to talk about work today, but something that we're calling restful work. Uh, generally, when we start a new year, we uh, have at least one kind of message on rest and what, what rest ought to be like. And this year isn't any different. We're just going to look at rest from the other side in our work. See, our lives should be restful, not just in the not doing, the resting part, but in the doing as well. That's possible. And good rest comes from good work. So we're going to learn today. So here's the context of that story. If you're not familiar, uh, right off the bat, with, Gen- with Exodus 35 and 36, if that's not you know, completely ingrained in your brain, here's the kind of background of what's going on there. Uh, a few chapters previous, Moses is up on the mountain. He's talking with God. The Lord tells Moses that he's going to lead them. So they're in the wilderness here. Uh, Moses has no idea where to go. He's been, he's, these people have been freed, and he has no idea what to do, but the Lord is leading them. And the Lord is, uh, goes up on the mountain uh, to meet Moses and says, my presence will go with you. And not only that, my presence will go with you, I will give you rest. That's chapter 33, verse 14. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses asks to see God's glory. God reveals some of himself to Moses, and then God makes a promise to Moses that he's going to bless his people. God will bless God's people. And then he laid out how they should live. Moses wrote these things down on tablets. He came down from the mountain. People saw he looked completely different because he was with God. It kind of freaked the people out, so he had to hide that difference. Moses was with God, and being with God changed him a bit. And then uh, what was God commanding? The the way that God told uh, his people to live what, what, did he, what did he say? Well, here in, in Exodus 33 and 34, the, most of the writing here is on Sabbath, is on rest, on, on the not working part of our lives. To keep a Sabbath, to work six days and to rest one, to give that fully to the Lord. And then we hear about an offering in Exodus 35. Uh, um, it says this, everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering, so gold, silver, bronze, wood, precious metals, things like that, the people were to bring this offering now to these artisans that we heard about in our story, Bezalel and Oholiab. Those two guys are going to be our friends in a second here. Uh, so they're going to bring this offering to these artisans. Uh, it's actually like a crew of artisans, like a guild or something. And these two guys, Bezalel and Oholiab, are leading them. God gives plans for what he wants the, this group of artisans to do, basically to make the tabernacle. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then God gives people to carry out those plans. And this is typical of how God works. He reveals himself. He tells us of how much he loves us and often tells us to not be, not be afraid. And then he and talks about how powerful he is and how he will use that power for our good. And then he tells us how to live and then provides plans and people and all the extra stuff. It's not about here's how you are to live and then so you can see me as good. I am good, therefore here's how you're supposed to live. And all of this work that we're gonna be looking at today is how God's people will enjoy God's rest. That's the point of the work. How are people going to enjoy this rest? This is one kind of small section of it. So here's, a, here's um, what we're going to get up to today. The big kind of big picture kind of thoughts. Without God, we are destined to work without satisfaction. We can work and we can get some satisfaction, but not as much as if we're going all in with God. It's not going to lead to the kind of rest that our souls really long for. But the great thing is that God changes us and he gives us restful work. And God fills us with gifts so that we can give to God 
and to others. And we're just going to basically look at that sentence and how that, uh, how that comes out from our text. That's basically the main sentence we're going to look at. God fills us with gifts so that we can give to God and to others. And this is good work. And this kind of good work is restful. This doesn't necessarily mean your job all the time. It might mean parts of your job. But it's like the good kind of work, what you spend your life doing kind of stuff. So let's look at that first section that God fills us with gifts. Uh, this is in uh, verses 30 through 35 of chapter 35. Bible might stay open here. And just, um, so have your Bible open there or, or scroll to it. Look at verse 31. He's filled, so he's talking about Bezalel. He's filled him with the spirit of God. What does that mean? Well, it says right there, uh, it means gifts. Uh, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, all kinds of skills, artistic designs, cut and set stones, work in wood, and engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. All sorts of very specific things here is, an, is an, uh, a, a product of what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. Generally we think, oh, we just kind of do our own thing and being filled with the Spirit of God is this like kind of weird spiritual feeling that we get from time to time. But actually like being filled with the Spirit of God is highly practicable and here completely practical. And, all, and sometimes maybe when, we, when it comes to having a gift, if you're like me at all, you might think, well, is that like a nature or a nurture thing? Are some gifts, are you born with it? Or some gifts do you kind of like have to work at and kind of get good at it? And this story tells us a little bit about that. Uh, when, when you look into individual lives, often both of those things are at work, nature and nurture. Someone who's gifted, say a musician, also puts in six to eight hours a day practicing to, to be good at what they do. Really, anyone who's incredibly gifted also puts in the time. I remember um, at the uni that we went to in Florida, we would often have people who competed in the Olympics who went to our uni. And in my degree program, uh, it was a kind of a physical, kind of uh, like personal training kind of degree program I ended up in. I would have, we have loads of people, either from the US or we compete from other countries. And I remember this one person in my class, she, was mad, she made me look even more like a little twerp. Uh, but she competed for Germany, I think, in swimming. I can't remember what her, uh, what her particular kind of um, competition was. But I think she won a silver and possibly a gold at some point. And she's just like a student with the rest of us. Of course, you can tell by looking at her, there's something different about Yes, yeah, that's, that's true. Whenever you see like an elite athlete, you're like, I don't know what you do, but you're really good at something because you look different. And like you move different, even kind of like... I know there's like some kind of coordination that you can just tell. You can't explain why, but there's something about them that's a little bit different. Well, swimmers, and she was a swimmer, uh, you might think, well, they can just kind of show up and dominate, right? They just kind of do what they do. Like, they, they are built in such a way genetically, there's no way anyone, you know, can ever compete with them. Well, I made the rookie mistake of signing up for a class Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7.30 a.m. in the morning. It's Friday at 7.30 a.m. I mean, I don't know what kind of, it was really dumb. Um, in fact, I think they organized a class in order to make sure people who really wanted to be in the class would actually go. Uh, so I'm there hating life, eating breakfast. At, it, like, it's a common area at you know, 7 o'clock in the morning. And these swimmers are coming back from their morning workout. I say morning workout because they have another afternoon workout. They've already been up for four hours swimming in the pool, and then they're going to do all their classes and stuff, and then they're going to go in the pool again for four hours. And these are elite-level people. You say, oh, they could just show up and dominate. No, like, it's a nature and a nurture thing. They do both. And, uh, and we see that here because we see um, being filled with the Spirit of God with wisdom, with understanding, and then it actually gets a little bit more specific on, uh, on, on the end of, chap- or, sorry, the end of uh, verse 31. 
with all kinds of skills. A skill is something you have to learn over time. You don't just, you're not innately born with how to set stones or whatever the thing is, or how to carve stuff. You gotta learn that over time. And God is at work in both of those things. Bezalel and Aholiab and their artisan crew are given abilities and all kinds of skills. Your abilities are things you can do well, and skills are things you kind of learn over time. And we kind of list, listed through all the things uh, that they, it's actually like when you look at it, especially in verse 35, there's like weavers, embroiderers. This is a huge list. So, I mean, who, who would ever have thought that this is what it means to be filled by the Spirit? Like you can actually embroider really well. Kathleen knows what it means to be filled with the Spirit. This is not normally a list we would associate as uh, like spiritual gifts from the Lord. We think we have maybe a few lists in the New Testament and those, that's, that's like the comprehensive list of how God fills us with the Spirit, but that's not true. The Lord gives many kinds of gifts. And some of these things, one might be naturally gifted in, but in all of these gifts, they all require work. You can't just show up and start making something. They all require work. Nature and nurture are both from God, and this is what it means to be filled by the Spirit. And also, artisans then, uh, being an artist then was basically like blue-collar work today. It was like a plumber. You wouldn't think a plumber is some kind of genius until they fix your plumbing problem. You're like, this guy's some kind of genius. But that's what it was like then. Blue-collar work is what the Lord is inspiring and leading people to do. That's an amazing thing. So I think it might be easy for us to think like our vocations don't really connect with, you know, the spiritual world, but they do. God really cares about that stuff. And these people here in Exodus, they knew their gifts. They were recognized by others as having these gifts, and they were already using them in some way. Some, somehow they were known for being these kinds of people. See, God has gifted every single person. Every single one of you has gifts, gifts plural. And your gifting is where the world's needs and your joy meet. That's where your gifting is often found. It's the thing that when you're doing it, it brings you delight. You know, like you would just do it, even if you didn't get paid for it. And a lot of our gifts, we don't get paid for it's the kind of work that feels satisfying in itself. The kind where you don't want a, a vacation from, but the kind that you, if someone has to stop you from doing. You know, I've put, it's the kind of thing where when you're doing it, you're like, I've been put on the planet to do this, to do things like this. That's the kind of restful work we're talking about. I wonder if you know where you are gifted. Where specifically are you gifted? It may not be embroidery, or maybe it is. It may not be something even artistic related. It might just be organizing things because you like the world being tidy. It could be achieving things because you really like meeting deadlines and performing well. It could be the joy that comes from unraveling like a problem and finding a solution or, or maybe just the joy in, in the getting to a solution. It could be all sorts of things. One thing I know, every one of you has gifts, plural, and I also know that not everyone has the best idea of where they're actually gifted. The thing I hear more often than not is like, oh, I don't really have any gifts, or if I do, maybe it's like being nice to people or something that doesn't really mean anything. Now, or also some people might have, uh, have ideas of where they like to be gifted, um, but they actually really don't have those gifts. I think, actually, this is the thing. God has made us to be a communal people. And I don't think we can actually figure out our gifts by ourselves. I don't think that's really how we're meant to figure out our gifts. The reason why we have a family of people around us is to help bring out those gifts. See, Bezalel and Aholiab, uh, these aren't one-offs. This is how God likes to work. You're filled with gifts. And I wonder if you know where they are. And if you don't know where they are, this is one reason that Redeemer exists, to help you identify and use your gifts. And not just in the church, but just like out there in the world. It might, hopefully it includes the church, but not merely the church, something bigger than that. See, working from our gifts brings us alive. 
It brings us alive. Not working from our gifts really deadens us. Working from our gifts brings us alive. And the church of the living God should be full of living people. And I want to be part of a church that finds where people are gifted and enables them and encourages them and helps even equip them to be able to do the thing they're gifted at. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. And here's something uh, that I want to do is go meet individually with every single one of you and go through a process of maybe discovering where you might be gifted. And this is something that, you know, will take like five or six sessions. It's going to take a long time. It, I'm not going to be able to do this, you know, in, in a week or whatever. But it's, it's, this is one of my goals for this year, to meet with every single one of you individually. Like, where are you actually, like, specifically gifted? What environments are you really going to thrive? And how can we um, encourage more of that? Whether it's Redeemer, whether it's your work, whether it's hobbies, whether it's your family life, all sorts of things. That's something that um, I am happy more than happy to sacrifice other things in order for that to happen. I think that's actually part of what the church is called to do. Because the church isn't me doing ministry, like the people who are get paid to do the stuff. The goal of the church is to equip other people to live the way that God's called them to be. And that's really the goal. And I can't think of any one thing that I can do better, more than something like that, a one-to-one -one meeting with you over time. So look out for that. Now, if that's something you're like, yes, sign me up. I really want to be in on that. Um, you can be one of the first people to, you know, get through on that. I've, I've, we've done some of this with some other people, but if you're really interested in jumping into it now, um, you can email me uh, or just wait for the dreaded text of, hey, when can we meet up? Oh, no. I promise it won't be painful. It's actually fun. I, I, I know, you know, of course, you'd say it's fun, Greg, because you're a nerd like that. I know, but it really is, like, to see... Uh, to see the light bulbs come on, I'm like, actually, this is what I really enjoy. I thought it was something like this and this, but you put these things together here, I really enjoy that. Now, that doesn't mean your entire life is going to be this, you know, floating through life in this amazing way, and everything is going to be so satisfying and restful, but to at least know what to aim for, that's something, and that's something that um, I'd like to help all of us grow in. So that's kind of where I'm um, hopefully we're going to go um, as a church this year. But let me address something here. Um, sometimes talking about gifts can feel a little bit self-serving, a little bit self-focused. And I, t I get that. And I got that. I, I often feel that impression when talking about how we're gifted with other people in the church. It might feel a bit like overly luxurious. Like, uh, I mean, I'm talk about it a little bit, but not too much because I don't want to be like focused on myself. Uh, and that can make us uncomfortable. And it's fine. I get that. And part of the problem, maybe, is so many self-help books, whether they're Christian or not, so many self-help books that talk about gifts are often kind of self-focused about how is it good for you to use your gift for you. But what's missing from that is the actual idea of a gift to begin with. So we get a gift that's from God, and that's a gift from God to us. But the point of the gift is not to hold on to the thing. The point of the gift is to give it to other people. That's the whole point. And so if we aren't using our gifts for, other, for God and for other people, we're never going to get the joy and satisfaction of that gift to begin with. And that's where I think a lot of self-help areas kind of really fall short. And that should make us feel uncomfortable because that is kind of self-focused. But that's it's the whole, gifts are the entire opposite of that, is to be other-focused, uh, to be focused on God and other people. Uh, and if we miss this, our gifts just become another thing to work really hard at, another thing for us to kind of maybe notch in the interior kind of of ourselves or how we're good enough or all those kind of things. But gifts are not to end with the giver. God fills us with gifts so that we can give. And that's exactly what we see in these first two verses in chapter 36. So Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person, so they have their crew, 
to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. So the sanctuary is for other people. It's not just for these, it's not like an artist hangout. It's for other people. And they're going to do the work for other people as they were called by the Lord. And so they didn't, they're not working for their own good. They're working for others and they're working for God. See, this crew was working on, on the tabernacle. And what the tabernacle was, was a movable tent in the wilderness that signified God's presence. As we heard before, what God told Moses is, I will lead you and where my presence is, there you're going to get rest. And how are these people going to know where that, like, that God is with them? This tent was the, this, the symbol of that. This was an important work because God's people, they're wandering in an area they haven't been before. They were kind of released from slavery, not yet in their home, and they're kind of going this new place, a desert. It's not a hospitable environment. They're going around in circles. They don't really know what they're doing. They need someone, they, they need to know that the Lord is with them. The Lord that freed them is also still with them in this wilderness. And so God made it clear and made it real to his people. I'm with you. I'm leading you. They were symbols of heaven and earth inside the tabernacle. We're not going to go into all the tabernacle stuff, but if you look at how the tabernacle is described, inside this like sanctuary, a place to worship God, symbols of heaven and earth like at the same time. And that's how it is with any place of worship, with any temple. It's where heaven and earth meet. And that's what the, sanctuary, the tabernacle was, a symbol of heaven and earth meeting. That's a big job. <laughs> That's what Bezalel and Aholiab were supposed to like symbolize and represent to God's people. Like there was, it wasn't like multiple churches or multiple temples. This is it. And it's got to be able to move around. So Bezalel and Aholiab, they aren't just creating for themselves. As they're living out their gifts, they get to give. And if we have gifts that are never given, there's a different word for that. They're called possessions. They're called, and we end up hoarding them for ourselves. Possessions aren't gifts. They're things that we own for ourselves. And instead of being generous, we become hoarders. Now, sometimes um, people will jump into this, but more often than not, like in Exodus 36, people need to be asked. The, uh, uh, in verse 2, Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab. Uh, he summoned them. These people were already recognized, and the Lord already called these people out, but Moses still had to say, hey, you two. You two are really good at this. Not only are you going to do the stuff, but you're going to lead it. Also, they were given like, um, skills to teach other people as well. So if you're a leader, this is one of your primary tasks, finding those who are gifted and summoning them, like calling them out, but in a way that they're going to be willing. See, verse 2 doesn't say they were strong-armed strong into it. It says, at every skilled person to whom the Lord has given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. So they were asked and they were willing. And isn't that the job of the church? To ask in such a way that people are going to be willing to live and not just like set things up for a Sunday, but for whatever it looks like for the whole rest of the week, for the whole rest of our lives. See, sometimes people need coaxing. Sometimes people need persuading. Uh, and that this, that this is an area where they can serve and that they can save, serve other people well, but always done in a way that other people will be willing to come and do the work. I mean, let's say you had a nice gift on Christmas even wrapped it up, there's a nice bow on it, and, you know, it looks like a beautifully wrapped gift. I spend as little time as possible wrapping gifts because they just got to rip it open anyway, who cares? Um, but you say, say you go to someone's house uh, and you're holding onto that gift and they're just kind of like looking at you awkwardly like, so uh, 
are you going to give that? Or are you going to put that under the tree? Like, no, no, just get to hold on to this. And you hold, you're there for the entire dinner, holding on to that gift. That'd be really awkward. Probably actually, we might be split 50-50. Who would actually call that person out? Like, what are you going to do with that? Or who would just kind of be awkwardly kind of let it be silent? Like, okay, I don't know what was with that gift, but I was not about to ask because it's awkward enough. That's a weird picture, right? Someone coming in, holding their perfectly wrapped present. That's exactly what we do when we don't use our gifts for other people. When we become hoarders instead of generous, when we, when we try and make our gifts our possessions, the joy of doing what you were born to do, what you were made to do in that situation is lost. You're the lesser for it and the world is lesser for it because the world needs us to act on, on, on it. So by not giving your gift, you're depriving yourself and other people. And if we don't even know what those gifts are, that makes it really difficult to be able to give a good gift. Now, we may not be constructing the sanctuary. Uh, I mean, this doesn't maybe look like where heaven and earth meets, even though it's true that it does. But that's how our lives are described when we follow Jesus. We become living, walking temples, like beacons to other people who are in this spiritual wilderness along with us, that the Lord is leading us, that the Lord is with us, that in our bodies, because the spirit resides inside us, heaven and earth do meet. And we are participating in that work of heaven and earth meetings in Manchester as in heaven. That's what that means. So if you think the tabernacle was a big job, that's nothing on each one of us. It's much easier to create the sanctuary of a tabernacle than it is to create a life that reflects heaven and earth. So we're not constructing the sanctuary of the tabernacle, but God has given us kind of clear guidelines on how he wants us to work on how we can best use our gifts. And in this story here, we see generosity. We've already kind of talked about that a little bit. To give, your, to give something of yourself to others always requires generosity. Now, generosity is kind of like giving until it hurts a little bit. It's not going to be completely painful, but it's not really generous unless it, it hurts. It's a bit dear. It's not going to maybe com- completely leave you out, but there's something to it. That's what giving sacrificially is. That's what generosity is. And these artists are committed they couldn't have said, yeah, if I want to show up, maybe I'll show up on Monday, but no, Tuesday, I might be really tired, so I may not kind of show up here. No, they're not working when it suits them. They're working in how it suits other people first. They're not coming when it's convenient. They came to, as the text says uh, a couple times, to do the work. There's so much in those three words. What does it mean to do the work? That's a lot. And this one is maybe a bit inferred, but I feel like it's worth mentioning that there's love and joy here. Because there's work to be done, yes, but because it's something that they're gifted in, uh, there's joy to be, got, to re- be received from that. Just like giving a gift to somebody, there's a joy in that. We like doing that. And not a surface-level joy, but a deep joy, deep joy that comes from within. It's something that you were born to do. It means you come alive in ways that you wouldn't otherwise. And that's a joyful thing. So, God fills us with gifts so that we can give in this last little section here, these last uh, five verses, to God and to others. So we've been talking about our individual um, gifts here. There we are. Uh, now let's talk about where those gifts go. Okay, so we're supposed to give it. Where, how do we do that? Where does it go? When we are using our gifts well, we're giving to God and to others. It's a both and, not an either or. See, Bezalel and Aholiab, they were commissioned by the Lord. The Lord asked them to do it. And also, it's a sanctuary, not for the Lord, like he could... You get whatever he wants. It's for the other people to know about God. So there's this dual thing. When we're serving the Lord, we're serving other people. Those things, whenever they're pit against each other, neither of them are true. 
There's no way that serving someone means not serving the Lord or vice versa. If you ever kind of try and separate that, that means you're not doing either well at all. Um, it, so we're looking here at verses three through seven. Uh, they received from Moses, so these are the artisans here, all the offerings that Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. All the people continued to bring these free will offerings morning after morning. And then you skip down to verse six. Moses gave an order and they sent the word out through camp. No man or woman is to make anything else out of an offering for the sanctuary. Uh, and so they restrained the people from giving more. Like they're trying to throw gold at them or something. No, no, keep your gold. Like we have more than enough money. Keep your cash. Like they, they had more than what they needed. And they needed to be stopped. They had more than enough. When people are using their gifts well, others are more than happy to sacrifice for it. And that's true about the films you watch. That's true about the TV shows you watch. It's true about a good meal you might have. You'll drive out of your way to get a good meal and pay a lot of money for a good meal. You'll you know, pay time and attention and get out of your way to see, it, to see a film. All that kind of stuff. You know, when was the last time a church told you to stop giving? You know what, guys? Uh, we have more than enough. Keep your money or give it to somebody else or give it to some other charity. Actually, that happened once in Redeemer when we had our visa issue, our visa problems. People in America wanted to give. We had to, there was a point after three weeks we had to tell them to stop giving money because we didn't need any more. The visa stuff was covered. That's an amazing kind of thing. It's a possible scenario when people are empowered and how God has gifted them. We love seeing people work out their gifts and we love to give to see that happen. Even if it costs us something, we will sacrifice for it every single time. And there are people here with gifts that others want to give to. It's exciting to see people use their gifts well. Like Josh and Rachel, they're going to support to see. That's like, we love to see that. And people have, have asked them without them even prompting, how can we give money to make this happen? Because we see people, this is like, they're living out their gifts. We want to see people do that. And God's work will never lead to a lack of resources. It will always be more than enough. Now that can be true as well as the truth of we need more people, we need more resources, we need uh, you know, a better venue or, or a venue or all the kind of things that happen. All those things, can, there can be needs, but whatever God has for you in the moment, he will always be more than enough. He never writes a check he can't cash. He never calls to something that he doesn't provide for. It might require us to work for it, to pray for it, gasp, trust him to actually come through even in the last minute, but he will always provide more than what we need. Bezalel and Aholiab and everyone else were not working on their own little project. They were working on something that God wanted. They weren't working for their own glory. They were working for God's glory. And working for God's glory always means working for other people. And God will always see that through. He always will. He has in, in the life of Redeemer, and he will as much as we are faithful to him. Now let's talk about um, re-gifting. <laughs> you know that when you get a gift, you're like, oh, uh, yeah, Thanks. Who am I going to give that to? Um, you know, just like that idea of you got this thing, and maybe they meant well. They probably did mean well. Very, probably few people don't mean well when they give you a gift, but it's just not something that really like, connects with you, right? Uh, so you give it to someone else. Now, I think that's a helpful analogy for us in our lives and how not to live. This is what it looks like to, to live outside of your gifts or live in ways you think you're gifted and maybe not. Um, see, gifts are how we serve each other. It's a function of love. And serving each other means knowing each other. It's less likely that you're going to get a gift that you will re-gift from someone who knows you well. Because I know like, oh, Greg, uh, I know Christina loves jigsaws. Greg doesn't love jigsaws. So giving a, a jigsaw to Greg, he's got to give it to Christina. Or whatever the thing might be, right? Um, 
Of course, Christina would be more than happy if you gave me a jigsaw, because she'll get it in the end. Um, <laughs> or at least she'll be doing it in the end. Um, see, how can you serve someone without knowing them? It's just like you can give a gift to someone without knowing them, and that's, that's a fine sentiment. But to give a good gift to someone, you really have to know them. The road to regifting is paved by good intentions. Now, notice God didn't pick out shepherds to create the art, right? Because a gift isn't just for the giver to like express their, their, their own gifts. It's, it's an other-focused way of living. So if a gift is for yourself and you want to hold on to that, and the only benefit you're going to get is working that gift only for yourself, you're not going to ask questions like, are others receiving this as a good gift? To even ask someone that, that that's a kind of a brave kind of thing to ask. But you'll want others to receive a good gift because you care about them. If a gift is for someone else, uh, you want to give a good gift as they define good, not as you define good. And that's a big difference, right? I really like this, so I'm going to give this to you. Like, oh, cool, Greg, you gave me a guitar. I know it wasn't great. Let me show you how to play it, you know? Like that, it's like the, um, the classic how a dad gives, <laughs> gives his wife, like, you know, a bowling ball or whatever the thing is. Uh, a good gift requires you to know someone well. And if you're living for the Lord, that means you also have to know God well and know other people well. The gifts we have, the lives we have, they're best given, they're best lived for God and for other people. And this goes completely against these romantic notions we have about genius or that we have around artists. We think like a genius or an artist, we have to just like let them alone in their own room by themselves and they're gonna create this magical, beautiful thing in a vacuum that they will like unleash on the world and we'll all see this beautiful, oh, this is amazing, how did you do this? Well, I'm just a genius, like it just came from heaven and I just like knew how to do it. That is not actually not how artists work. Some artists work kind of like that, but um, like 99% of artists don't work like that at all. It's very communal. It's process-based. They're always working on stuff. But let's say that is how artists work. That's a horrible way to live. That's not how we're called to live, even if that is how artists work, which isn't. There's a better way to live. And let's also maybe confront another notion that if you aren't gifted, you can't do it. That's what I say all the time anytime someone wants to um, you know, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm not really gifted in taking the bin bags out. So, you know, I'm going to wait for someone else to do that. Right, that's another error. Okay, here's something to help us, Venn diagrams, because I love them. But this is clear Venn diagram. It's necessary. This isn't like me trying to insert a Venn diagram. It's necessary. So here's you. You have gifts, all, all sorts of different kinds of gifts that you love working out. Um, here's the world. The world has all sorts of needs. In here we have like... Uh, Oh, my pointer doesn't work on the thing. Um, so we have needs for Redeemer. You have needs for like your family, your, your neighbors, uh, uni or school or work, all the other kinds of things. In the middle there is the sweet spot, the things that you love to do, meeting the needs that the world has. And then you get to do that. Sometimes if you work that well, you can get paid to do that. And that's great too, because then you get to spend more time doing it. That's really all money is, it gives you time. The overlap is kind of is that sweet spot. From Redeemer's side, as much as possible, we want people living out of that sweet spot, right? We don't want people who hate children to be in kids' ministry. We don't want grumpy people who show up late to be welcoming people into the church, right? We, or whatever other kind of thing we do. Uh, if you're grumpy and show up late, we'll put you in kids' ministry. Um, <laughs> you're welcome, Elspeth and Ruth. Uh, <laughs> but there, you know, there are all sorts of different contexts for this, right? With your neighbors. Maybe you enjoy making food and someone, you know, 
doesn't enjoy making food, and there's a way to work that out. Those times that those kind of things work out, it's, it's really it's an enjoyable way to live. And as much as possible, that's the kind of thing we want to be equipping people. But we know not all life is organized in the sweet spot, mostly because we messed it up back in Genesis 3, but that's another sermon. There ought to be times where we are working out of, out of a sacrifice. Just like people bringing gold to Bezalel and Aholiab. Do you think people who were bringing their gold earrings to these artisans were like, oh, my gift is to give gold to you? Like, no, of course they weren't. They were sacrificing so that other people could use their gifts. If people didn't sacrifice, that sanctuary would have never been done, would have never been made. It requires both. Um, maybe a good example of this, going back to kids' ministry, is difficult. There's a reason why every single church will always have difficulty getting people to serve in kids' ministry, whether it's leaders or helpers or whatever. And our church is no different. It's a sacrifice for most people. And you know what? That's actually a really good thing for it to be a sacrifice because it brings something else out of us instead of kind of living um, lazily the way we always just kind of, uh, the easiest kind of way to live. So don't think that you're constrained by gifts because you are more than the sum of your gifts. You have more to offer than just your gifts and also you're more than like the sum of those gifts. And this is where sacrifice comes in. I mean, in the example of kids, we pray for this every single week for people who don't know Jesus yet, or if they do, they only know him like just a little bit to come and be part of our church. We have a group of people who come every single week and they don't have a choice whether they're coming or not. And they're gonna listen to you whether they want to or not because that's what they do. They're our kids every single week. And yet that's also the same place where we have difficulty finding people to serve. So we say we want people who aren't believers to be in part of our church, well, do we really want that? When God says, yeah, I'll answer your prayer. Here are some children. You're like, oh, but not that kind. Like, God, like, give us the kind who go to the pub with us or something like that. You know, sometimes we don't have, you know, um, we don't get to choose how God is going to answer our prayers. But when he does, there's something to that. Now, all that said, with all this, there's another um, kind of circle we need to look at. And one is areas where we're actually not gifted, where you can't really do something. If you can't sing or play an instrument, you won't be summoned to willingly serve uh, as part of the music team. And you know, we need music people right now, right? Because I'm doing this like weird dual job right now. Um, they, uh, if, again, yeah, if you're not grumpy and you don't show up in time, you probably won't be asked to welcome people. But you might be asked to be part of the tech team where you can be grumpy. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, Mike says yes. Hey, they'll take whoever. <laughs> Of course, this is like a very narrow slice of our life. Right? I'm just talking about a church meeting on a Sunday. Church is much bigger than that, and our lives are more than just the church relationships we have. It's bigger than that. But, um, and again, I really do, I want to help you get clarity in these areas where you are gifted, uh, and that's why um, I hope to be meeting with you guys uh, over this year. Now, you might have noticed across the top, the title of this message is about rest. It says, it says restful work there, right? How in the world is this a message about rest? Did I just kind of bait and switch you all? Hey guys, we're gonna talk about rest. Let's talk about work. How does this really work? Well, there are many facets to living a restful life. And uh, in the big definition of what rest looks like, work is included in that. A good day's work is satisfying. Doing something we love actually gives us energy. We might forget to eat. If I forget to eat, that's a pretty big deal. I forget to eat sometimes because I'm doing something I love. Uh, now when the, and this is a similar situation uh, with this verse behind me. When the disciples were worried that Jesus didn't eat food, they didn't have the energy to continue the ministry that they were a part of, he said that he had food they didn't know about. And they're like, oh, wait, did someone like, go to the shops for him? Like, what, what happened here? And he used that moment to teach his disciples about what restful work is like. And there's this verse here. 
John 4, 34, said, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What energized Jesus? What gave him the energy to keep on this thing? Doing God's will. Jesus is acting out of the unique abilities that only Jesus had, acting in a, in a way on the world that only he could do, and that was his food. Doing what we love, what we can get lost in, so much that we can forget to eat, is restful work, living out of the gifts that God has given us. And though we're not Jesus, saving the world, uh, all of us have unique abilities, unique things that we're called to bring into this world. And when we do this well, it's satisfying and it leads to rest. And I know you know the opposite is true when you do something you hate or you're around people who you hate. So your lives should be restful, not just in the not doing, but in the doing as well. And he fills us with gifts so that we can give to God and to other people. And this good work leads to good rest. Now, all this talk about gifts, it might be easy to think, um, as we are <clears throat> probably generally prone to do, is that I am the sum of my gifts. And Greg, you just said I'm not, but then you kind of talked half an hour about how I come in. You're so much more than just kind of what you do in this world. Because before we use the gifts that God's given us, we ourselves are God's gifts. So the next time someone says, you think you're God's gift, like, yes, I do. And then you might maybe not want to act in the same way you did before. And then in the book of Isaiah, there are three specific times where God tells us that we, humans, are his handiwork, that he's crafted us individually, that, um, that he formed us and that he made us. In Ephesians 2, we read that we're his handiwork, we're his workmanship, we're like a work of art. It's actually the word that's used is where the, we get our word poem. That's what God calls us. That's how he sees us. This is before we do anything. It's just who we are. See, we are God's art. We may not be artists, we may not be artisans, but spiritually, that is a fitting analogy for our lives. Created to be art that creates more art. It's generative, it keeps going on for God and for others. And the more we live in this kind of generous way that God calls us to, the more our work will be restful. And that will also make our rest more enjoyable. God fills us with these gifts so that we can give to him and to other people and we get a joy, we get a rest out of that as well. Now before the creation of the world, before everything, the Trinity had a plan. See, the world was very good. God created this as a very good gift. And we tried to destroy and kind of disfigure that gift a bit. We denied its giver and tried to destroy it as much as we had power to. And yet, because God is who he is, he keeps on giving. And in doing so, in his creation, he recreates us. In order for Jesus to be generous in his recreating of us, he had to sacrifice. So this story that we have in Exodus is like a shadow of what Jesus has already done for us. See, there was a joy that Jesus had that required doing the hard and difficult work of the cross. And part of the product of his recreation is now to be able to joyfully utilize the gifts that he's given us. That's what we get to do. That's part of the reason that Jesus died was for us to use those gifts that he has given us. The Trinity delights in us using the gifts that he's given us. And outside of God's work in us, we are unable to kind of tap into that. We could try and get to it in different ways, but un, uh, unless we kind of surrender to God's love working through us, we'll never kind of enjoy that kind of love that we can experience for ourselves. We'll always be held back. But when we surrender to his love, we get to be more aware of how he's filled us with gifts, frees us to be able to give in ways we weren't able to before, and empowers us to give to God and to other people. And this is what we remember when we come to communion. Oh, grab one of these. No feedback. 
and you have these under your chair as normally. Um, this is a symbol of the sacrifice and the gift. Jesus on the cross giving himself. So, and this is what we're about to do, uh, the Lord's Supper, is for anyone who is recreated by Jesus. Uh, this is not for you if you don't yet trust in him. This is something that people who believe in Jesus do together. And as we take it, uh, we'll take it as we sing. Um, just ponder in a different way, or maybe in the same way, and it might feel new because it's a new day, the gift that, of Jesus, who uh, given the sacrifice of himself, which is far more than any kind of gold, earrings, or any kind of stuff that people in the Old Testament could have given. It's far more than we can give through our work. It was God himself giving himself to us so that we might be able to live this kind of joyful, restful life. So as we come to him knowing that, and knowing that it's not out of anything that we deserved, we were seen as this gift before we did anything. Uh, that should lead us to joy. That should lead us to worship him. And that should, um, hopefully, also this message should leave us with the question of, where am I gifted? Where, like, particularly has God enabled me to, to live, like, most joyfully for him? And how am I working that out? What are ways I could work that out that maybe I haven't yet? Or how can I ask other people to help me work this out? So in a moment, we'll take um, the bread and the cup. And the bread is a symbol of Jesus' body that was given for us. The blood was a symbol of Jesus' blood that was given for us. Both of these given so that we can see him first as the giver, capital G, and reflect that reality in our lives as little tiny givers, small Gs. In a moment, um, I'm going to pray. And uh, we'll actually have about a, a 30 seconds or a minute of reflection time to think about kind of what we talked about, also while I um, get the guitar set up here, and then I'll pray. And as we pray, um, take a moment to listen to God about that gifts, about the role of sacrifice in your life, but more importantly, uh, more